All right, good morning once again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It is fantastico, which is Spanish for fantastic, to see you. It's also Italian. Uh, hey, it's good to be back. I've been uh, gone this week, had the privilege of traveling to California with my son Brennan, uh, with my kids. Uh, we always have made a, it a priority to, when they're a senior in high school, do a senior trip. And so uh, Brennan and I, it was his turn. Uh, we went to California, flew to LAX, and then drove up to the national parks. Went to Sequoia, Kings Canyon, uh, Yosemite, and then a new one called Pinnacles. And uh, just really had a great time. And uh, Brennan's my fourth child, so uh, I think we started this with Samuel. We went to Loveland, Colorado and snowboarded. Um, Maddie, we went to Death Valley and, jo and Joshua Tree out in California. That was great. Well, then Chloe we went to Manhattan, <laughs> so not much. Uh, and then uh, Brennan and I went to uh, Yosemite and uh, surrounding area. I think uh, Lottie wants to go to uh, Dodge City, Kansas, <laughs> and Teddy wants to go to Lubbock, Texas. No, not really. Anyway, we'll see. They get to choose mostly. Roger wants to know if that's Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> Yes, it was Manhattan, Kansas. Good question, Roger. <laughs> no, it was Manhattan, the one in New York. So, Hey, uh, but anyway, it's great to be back, and I look forward to jumping back into our Rock of Ages series. This is week number 11, and today's message is called Future Joys. Future Joys. A few years ago, I read a book by a man named Alistair uh, Humphreys, and his book was called uh, Moods of Future Joys. And it is a, uh, the first part of a two-part series he wrote about his two-year-long bicycle ride around the world. He started in England and rode around the world. And uh, parts where there's water, he rode on boats, but he never left the ground. Uh, so the first of the two-part set, which I do recommend, is a really great read. It's called Moods of Future Joys. The title was inspired by a poem. The title, Moods of Future Joys, was inspired by a poem by, a, by Ben Okri. Ben Okri, and it's a poem called, To an English Friend in Africa. I think the poem was to a friend of his in Africa, judging by the title. Fairly descriptive. To an English friend, an English friend in Africa, which contains the line after which this book is titled. Now the opening stanza reads like this, and I'm going to read through it twice just because I know how it can be listening to poetry, but I want you to listen closely to what's being said here by Ben Aukri to his friend, in, his English friend in Africa. Be grateful for freedom to see other dreams. Bless your loneliness as much as you drank of your former companionships. All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys, so bless it all. Do not think your ways superior to another's. Do not venture to judge, but see things with fresh and opened eyes. Do not condemn, but praise what you can, and when you can't, be silent. Time is now a gift for you, a gift of freedom to think and remember and understand the ever-perplexing past and to recreate yourself anew in order to transform time. Let's hear that one more time. Be grateful for freedom to see other dreams. Bless your loneliness as much as you drank of your former companionships. All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. So bless it all. 
Do not think your ways superior to another's. Do not venture to judge, but see things with fresh and open eyes. Do not condemn, but praise what you can. And when you can't, be silent. Time is now a gift for you, a gift of freedom to think and remember and understand the ever-perplexing past and to recreate yourself anew in order to transform time. Do you follow what he's saying there? He's giving encouragement. One line here in this poem really grabs my attention, saying so much in a small set of words. All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. As you listen to this sentence, what do you think it means? All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. What do you think that means? Roger. I'll give it a try. I think all, what we do now, what we make of it, will determine how much of a future joy or lack of it it will be in. Okay, good. Thank you. What else? All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. I don't understand moods. Moods to me, moods is... Okay. Okay. It seems like a, they're it's meant, saying it's going to be different, different uh, shades or, or variation views of the main color of joy, but different variations of it. Okay. Like they're now not joys. There will be parts of that joy. Okay. So the mood that you might be feeling in the moment will become a different mood later, a, a joyful, a future joy. We've talked about like type two fun before, you know, there's type one stuff that's fun while you're doing it, then there's type two fun that's only fun after you've done it, you know, like running a long distance or something. Yeah, maybe that's what he's talking about. It may be not enjoyable now, maybe really hard, maybe challenging, may feel overwhelming even now, but it's something that you'll look back on and say, that was a treasure, that was meaningful to me. In context, Ben Okri is writing to a friend. He's writing for a friend who's far away, ostensibly in Africa. Apparently, the poet's friend is to be gone for an extended period of time. Perhaps he's feeling lonely, and he's having culture shock, and he's rather uncomfortable. If anyone's ever been to a uh, place like Africa or uh, Southeast Asia, you notice right away this is not like Missouri. This is not like home, and if you've been gone, maybe on a mission project for a long period of time, you've realized that after the excitement wears off, it's hard. There's culture shock, there's homesickness, there's a feeling of being out of place, and it can be really at every single level possible challenging. So his friend is feeling all these things, but Ben Aukri, he wants to encourage him not to miss it. Do not miss the opportunity which lies before you. Ben Okri wants to assure him that all the difficulties and all the discomforts he is enduring now will turn to future joys if he maintains the proper perspective. If we can hold on to the fact that these things that are so challenging and so bad now sometimes, given the right perspective, can turn into future joys. And isn't this how life is sometimes? I mean, maybe we could go around the room, if we had the time and you wanted to be here all day, and talk about things that happen to have happened in your life that now you look back on and say, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for that. I am who I am today because of that terrible, <laughs> difficult, low point in my life. I would not be who I am, where I am, or what I am now if I hadn't have gone through that. I mean, all of us could tell those stories. I know, I know several of your stories, too. 
so I know I'm talking to the right crowd. The hardest things we do, the biggest challenges we face are somehow, in time, transformed into our fondest memories. There seems to be a resilience, there seems to be an irrepressible hope in the human spirit. We see this resilience and this hopefulness encouraged all throughout Scripture as well. We see it all throughout the Bible, this encouragement toward resilience and hopefulness. Over and over again, God's people are called to do what? Persevere. Persevere. Hold fast. Hold fast. Cling to Jesus' promises. Believe unshakably in a good future. The good future that Jesus has laid out for us and said, hey, Work toward this. Live toward this. Believe in this good future. Despite the darkness and all the difficulties we may face, our hope and our future is secure. Our hope and our future is secure in the one who has rescued us and redeemed us from sin, death, fear, and despair. Now, I know some of you have been in times where that's the only thing you had to hold on to. It's been so dark been so difficult. Everything good in your life seems to have fled away, and all you can hold on to is, I will not give up in my hope in Jesus Christ. All I can hold on to is my hope that He, at the end of it all, has rescued me, He has redeemed me, and I, He's holding me secure. And therefore, I will not be overcome by fear and despair. I will not be given uh, overcome by sin and death. An anthem resonates throughout the pages of Scripture, reminding us about where this is all headed. Throughout the New Testament especially, there's this consistent reassurance that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are set free. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. But guys, through faith in Jesus Christ, the victory is already won. The victory is already won. Even though evil empires and evil emperors will rise, although suffering and persecution and even death may haunt our days, these things do not get the last word. Amen? That is good news. Over and above it all, the victory has already been won. Death, persecution, and suffering, they do not get the last words. Although we may suffer now, everything's ultimately under God's control. And Jesus Christ has, even now, overcome the world Jesus has even now overcome all of its darkness. So, be grateful for freedom to see other dreams. Bless your loneliness as much as you drank of your former companionships. All that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. So, bless it all. Now, Peter's audience, the Apostle Peter's audience in, in his first letter in 1 Peter, they were very familiar with suffering and persecution. Living daily in the shadow of a hostile empire and a bloodthirsty emperor named Nero. They were in need of serious encouragement and they were in need daily of reminding, reminding of that promise that Jesus has made to us. Again and again, Peter draws their attention beyond their current temporal trials toward the wonderful joy awaiting them in Christ and in His return. Because in Christ's return, they would receive the consummation of their faith, the satisfaction of all their hopes. They would receive their final and full salvation. 
I mean, here again, we find ourselves a foot planted in that already but not yet reality of our faith in Jesus that, yes, we are saved, but a time is coming when we will be finally and fully saved, fully delivered, fully brought into the presence of God, finally and fully free of all that still besets us inside and around us. Our final and full salvation. This salvation is what the prophets of old eagerly anticipated and upon which the Bible tells us the angels even now look upon with excitement and wonder. And let that sink in. That which we talk about each week, that which we're talking about today is the very stuff that the prophets of old, that we read in the Old Testament, we're looking into the future saying, this great hope is coming. Look to it. Trust in it. Live toward it. This great hope is coming. And even in heaven, the angels of God are looking at what Christ has accomplished and what Christ is bringing, into, bringing to fruition for us, and they marvel. I mean, how good does it have to be for the angels who get to see all this crazy stuff? <laughs> they look at it with all their thousands of eyeballs, and they're like rubbing each and every one of them like, I can't believe this. I'm amazed at the goodness of God, this great hope that Jesus has afforded to mankind and to all creation through his life, death, and resurrection. Yabba dabba do, this is great. I don't think they probably say yabba dabba do, but I think they're amazed. Scripture tells us they are amazed, they're marveling, they have excitement and wonder over what Jesus has done. Simply put, what Jesus has accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection has made our salvation secure even now. Our salvation, our present and future reality is secure in him even in the darkest and most desperate times. Are you able to hold on to that? Are there times where that's difficult to remember? Well, what Peter wants us to understand, what I want you to understand, is that in those moments, especially in those moments, that's when we must hold fast. And that's when we will discover the security of our salvation. Nothing can overcome us. Nothing can overcome our hope in our risen Christ. For us today... This same salvation in Christ Jesus has become the unshakable foundation of our joy and our hope. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And today we're going to start off by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And here we hear Peter launching into the real theme of his letter, the hope of eternal life and this wonderful hope that lies ahead for each and every one of us who have trusted in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-12. through 12. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. 
So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward of your trusting will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when they told them when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Even the angels are watching, eagerly watching these things happen. Verse 6 through 9 is where we start. I want to focus today. So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor in the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be what? The salvation of your souls. It's impossible to read this passage without hearing notes of hopefulness. Hopefulness and a wonderful joy ahead for those who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter wants to start off with this. And he wants to make it very clear. There is wonderful joy ahead for God's people. May not seem like it, may not feel like it, but trust me, believe in this. Plant your feet firmly here. There is wonderful joy ahead for God's people. Although you may be suffering now, although you may be enduring trials for a little while, there is cause for great hopefulness and joyful anticipation. This was remarkable, remarkable about the early church, about the early believers. Even though they were being hard-pressed, they're being, uh, they're being persecuted, even put to death. There was this resilient joy and this irrepressible sense of anticipation among the believers. And it was remarkable to the believers, yes, but more so to the onlookers, to the watching world. They're like, what is up with these people? The harder you press them down, the harder they press on. The more joyful they become. This makes no sense. Peter gives two solid reasons why we are to be people of hope and joy, even in the darkest nights. First, he says, we have a promise. We don't lose hope and we don't lose our joy. First, because we have a promise. Know this, believer. Know this, follower of Jesus. Our present sufferings are not for nothing. You're not suffering to a pointless end. Your sufferings are not for nothing. Our trials, that which we endure, they prove our faith and they show that it is actually genuine. It becomes refined. The fires of tribulation, they test and they refine and they purify us like gold, removing impurities and strengthening our belief and our trust in God and in His Word. Do you know how that works? It's like, you know what a crucible is? It like heats uh, raw metals 
and then the impurities start to float to the surface and can be scraped away. That's what happens when we struggle, when we suffer, and we choose daily and every moment to hold to our faith. Something gets strengthened and proven in us. We become, it becomes a proof in us because our faith has been uh, tested. Our trials have strengthened us. Should have planned better. I always got to do this awkward note turn here. So the, <clears throat> this truth that we read from Peter about our trials strengthening us and proving our faith is echoed by James in James chapter 1. And perhaps you're familiar with this passage, but James chapter 1 verses uh, 2 through 4 James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and you're familiar with this passage probably. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, run for your life, right? No, when, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James got it. Something had been baked into this understanding of the apostles and of the early church. is like, no, this is actually good for us. This develops our spiritual muscles. It develops our endurance. So reason number one, trials prove our faith. Hardship shows that our faith is genuine. The second reason Peter gives is that by faithful perseverance, Peter assures his readers that they will share in Jesus' praise, glory, and honor when he returns. What? Those who endure to the end will share in Christ's praise, glory, and honor when he returns. Now, show of hands, how many think the idea of sharing in Jesus' praise, glory, and honor uh, makes you squirm a little bit? Makes me. I was like, I don't deserve that. I'm a worm. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to. I don't deserve to share the spotlight. The idea of receiving praise, glory, and honor with Jesus makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. But guys, perhaps this reassurance might help you. Perhaps this reassurance from Jesus Himself will will tamp down the squirming. It'll reassure you enough that you'll maybe uh, step into that rightful place that's been prepared for you by Christ Himself. Look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. This is at the end of the Beatitudes. Perhaps you remember this, uh, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you, against you, because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Jesus himself is saying, hey, be happy about it. See it for what it's worth. Treasure it. Because it is leading to a great reward that's waiting for you in heaven. So I guess what this means is we just got to kind of get used to it. We got to get used to it that there is great reward ahead. There is a reason for hopefulness ahead for us. So, the first reason Peter gives, that trials test our faith and they prove its worth. The second is that through faithful perseverance, we will share in Christ's praise, glory, and honor when He returns. So in Christ, we will be unashamed when He returns because we will be united with Him and the authenticity of our faith will be proven to the world. And when Christ returns, all guesswork is gone. 
all the doubts flee. We will stand with Christ and we will know that our faith has been true and it will be proven to us and it will be proven to the world when we are united with Him. Any sense of separation, it will be no more. We will see ourselves as we are seen, as we stand in the full light of our salvation that has been provided for us through Jesus Christ. Our faith, once tested, leads us to love Jesus more and more. Even though we've yet to see Him, as our faith's roots grow deeper and our joy increases, we trust in Him. We grow in Him. We trust Him. We rejoice. Why? Because we are growing more and more confident in God's promises, knowing salvation is sure and our salvation is coming. Think about the people you've known in your life as a, as a follower of Jesus. The people that seem to have the most robust, unshakable, and genuine faith are oftentimes the people who have been through the hardest stuff. The people who struggled. You look around the world now, global Christianity, who are the ones who have the strongest, most simple, unshakable faith? It's the ones living under communist regimes, under Islamic regimes that are doing everything they can to stamp out the Christian faith, causing people to bleed, to suffer, and to die for their faith. This is where you find a lean, mean, worshiping machine in the church. People that will not say no. People that will not deny their faith. These are the ones who've suffered the most, yet their faith is so very strong. And I think there's a correlation here. I think there's a correlation. So verse 10 through 12, let's read that real quick. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. The wonderful joy of salvation we have in Jesus Christ has been the hope of the faithful since the very beginning, since God called Abraham. Even when God called Abram and made him Abraham, he's pointing him toward the future, saying, look into this promised future, this blessed future I'm laying out for you, and believe in it. Live accordingly. Old Testament prophets, they spoke expectantly of the day that God's people would be finally and fully redeemed and made holy by God's promised salvation. The hope of Messiah permeated their declarations and their warnings. With the moods of future joys redolent in all that God led them to say to Israel. Sometimes you read the prophets in the Old Testament, you're like, what? This either doesn't make sense or this seems harsh. But it's important to step back and hold it up against that bigger picture and that bigger frame. It's like, no, this is all leading toward something. There's a, there's a promised background here that all this falls in place. This all makes sense when it's held in perspective of all that God is doing and all that God has promised. Although they themselves, the prophets, couldn't see or even imagine what it would look like exactly, they knew this. They knew that a wonderful joy lay ahead for those who loved the Lord and for those who lived faithfully according to His will. And this promise was salvation. Salvation, a temporal, in time salvation, deliverance, but also an eternal, cosmic 
deliverance and salvation. This is what God was up to. Like the prophets, I like to imagine them, they were like signposts. They were like signposts along the road of, that people were traveling. Signposts pointing into a foggy future. They were pointing into the fog in a way. Uh, they were pointing into the fog, being faithful as prophets. I think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, Joel, Ezekiel. They were guiding God's people toward a future salvation, although they couldn't specifically describe it yet. They just knew it was true, and it was that way. Let's be true. Let's travel toward God's promise. This future salvation, this hope of Messiah, of God's kingdom come, of which the prophets spoke, it has come to us now in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the promised salvation which the, promise, which the prophets so eagerly desired to know more about, even as the words crossed their lips, it has been realized among us in the coming of Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. The Creator in the flesh dwelling among us. That promise has come. What a gift. What a gift we have received in Jesus Christ, which Peter describes as both the promised salvation that fascinated the prophets, but also the promised salvation that even now bewilders and excites the very angels of heaven. When the angels look at this, they're just like, yeah, this is amazing. This is God's masterpiece. Look at this. When I was a teenager, I was very involved in our church's youth group. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the Bible. And because of my particular denomination in which I was raised, we talked a lot about the end times. Uh, uh, we talked a lot about the, the end times. There were times that I really could not wait to get to heaven. Times when I could not wait to get to heaven and, and see Jesus. Can you imagine what that's going to be like with our eyeballs, our actual physical eyeballs? We will look at Jesus. I mean, I get chills. I mean, even Grady's hair would stand up thinking about this. I mean, we will look, not with some ethereal, like, spiritual eyes, with our, these eyeballs made whole and healed. We will look at Jesus. Oh, holy, holy moly is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, we're going to join in the chorus of heaven. No wonder they say this over and over again. Holy, holy moly. And that's going to be our anthem. We will look at Jesus. So I, as a teenager, this is the vision that filled my head. I couldn't wait to get to heaven to see in all the trembling wonder Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, right there. I also couldn't wait to meet the other famous people of the Bible. I, I wanted to actually meet Moses. I wanted to meet David and Noah and the disciples, Mary and Joseph. I, I really kind of wanted to meet the Gerasen demoniac, that guy that was like delivered of like, what, like a zillion demons and like wanted to follow. I want to know that guy. I want to meet the woman at the well. I want to hear their stories and just like shake their, I don't know, shaking hands would be weird, but yeah, I don't know, like whatever you're going to do in heaven, you know, good games, I don't, whatever. These people... I want to meet them. I've always wanted to meet them. But one time my youth pastor said something that has stuck with me even to this day. He said this, when we get to heaven, 
we will run to meet these Bible big shots. You know, the characters we read about in the Bible, we're going to be running to them. Like, oh, I can't, meet, can't wait to meet all these people I've read about in the Bible. But we might just be surprised to find them running to meet us as well. Can you imagine this? That Moses might run to meet you. Noah, the garrison demoniac, might run to meet you. Why? The priests, the prophets, the patriarchs, the disciples, they will come to us breathless asking this question. What was it like? What was it like to live in the end times? What was it like to live in the final days as Christ returned? I mean, if Christ returns in our lifetime, they will come and say, what was it like? We've anticipated this for so long. We've believed in this for so long, and you experienced it. Tell us more about that. What was it like to live in the end days when Christ returns? If we are alive to see Christ return in all his glory, we may very well be asked what it was like to be caught up in the air to meet him, to see that promise fulfilled. That will be all the talk, all the rage in heaven. Like, it's happened, guys. It's happened, and they'll see us coming, and they're like, sweet, an end-time believer. Let's talk to them. What was it like to stand there? What was it like to be soaked in Jesus' praise and glory and honor as it was revealed to all the world? In that moment, we will be participating in the culmination of redemptive history. We will be participant in that which the prophets desired to know and that which the angels marvel about. This is the future joys to which Jesus is point, er, Peter is pointing his readers both then and now. This is the future joys. This is the sure hope of our wonderful, wonderful salvation we have through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's words resonate with the Apostle Paul's assurance in Romans chapter 8 regarding our enduring hope and our future glory in Christ Jesus. Let's finish up with this. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 18 through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25 reads, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will, be, will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present moment. And we believers, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must patiently, wait patiently and confidently. Do you hear this theme showing up in Paul's writings as well? And we can find great confidence and encouragement in that. So hold fast, brothers and sisters. Hold fast. Hold fast because our present hardships and our present sufferings, they aren't for nothing. Our present difficulties and our trials, they are nothing compared to the future joys awaiting those who are faithful to the end. The darkness will flee. All despair will scatter. 
when the full light of Christ's return banishes all pain and sorrow forevermore. Amen. So indeed, all that you are experiencing now will become moods of future joys. So bless it all. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we can hear Peter's encouragement here. I pray that we can, we can hear uh, James's encouragement, Paul's encouragement, Jesus' encouragement to stay faithful, to hold fast. That all the darkness and all the difficulties, they're not, they're not wasted. They're all being put to good use in us. That our faith is being proven, it is being strengthened, especially in hard times. And so, God, I pray that we would be uh, part of that faithful communion that started all the way back in the first century and has continued even to now. I pray that our strength would be found in our suffering. That we would suffer faithfully, that we would uh, hold fast to you and persevere, believing that your promises are true. And that someday, Jesus, you'll come and get us. You'll come to us and there'll be no longer this separation, there'll no longer be this groaning, this crying out. There'll be this, this unity when your dwelling place and our dwelling place are made one. And you will be the light in that city. There will be a river of life flowing through it. And alongside it, there will be trees producing fruit in each season whose leaves are given for the healing of the nations. That we will know your presence and we will know healing and we will know wholeness because you are with us and we are with you finally and fully. God, that when we lay our eyes upon you, that we would cry out with joy all that hope and all the future joys that have been stored up inside of us, they'll be given expression. We'll be giving voice to this joy, this hope, this gladness. So God, I pray that you'd help us hold on to that perspective. Help us to believe in that promise. And may your Holy Spirit guide us and grow us through it all, we ask. In Jesus' name. We're going to share communion today. We're going to approach the Lord's table. And as I think about it, this is really a picture of that suffering leading to gladness. About a willingness to go through very difficult, dark times, believing in a hopeful future. I think about Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him, the joy set before him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. If you ever heard that verse, it's such a strange juxtaposition. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us, for God's glory and for our good. 
And so now we approach the table of remembrance and we remember what Jesus did for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of sin that we might be forgiven, welcomed back into God's family through faith. So as you come today, this is what we're doing. We are remembering. So obviously it's for those who've trusted in Jesus Christ. Those of you who are clinging, living in that faith, that hope and that promise that has been given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. If you can remember that moment, this is for you. Come and share with us. Secondly, I would encourage you to sit first, introspect, reflect upon where you are. Where have your feet been planted? Maybe you've been uh, shaken by circumstances. Maybe you've been pushed off course by difficulty. But maybe today you could plant your feet and say, I will believe. I will hold fast to those future joys, trusting that even though I go through difficult times now, even have times of disillusionment and doubt and discouragement, I will still believe and I will hold fast to that, knowing that these difficulties will make my faith stronger and someday I will share in the glory and goodness of Christ with me as I stand with Him in the new creation. So when you're ready, please come, and then once everyone's served, we'll partake together.